Hello and good morning. Welcome to another episode of Catholics at Home brought to you by the Catholic Research Centre in Kuala Lumpur. My name is Kachang Kevin and uh, usually we have a Saturday live show but uh, we have a very special guest today which we had a chance to the opportunity to chat with a couple of days ago and so we decided to put that recording, that show on in replace of our live show today. So who is that very special guest where well, he's a missionary priest with the community of St. Paul the Apostle in uh, Kenya, I believe. Yes, in Africa. And he's going to share with us his uh, vocation story and his calling and also, of course, his missionary work. So we're going to have all access with Father Francis Teo. But before I bring on Father Francis, let me welcome Father Clarence Devadas. Hello, Father. Hi, Kevin. Good morning to you. Good morning, Father. How are you doing? I'm okay, Kevin. We, we have missed you for quite a bit. And suddenly, yes, you have yes, this yes. kind of uh, change in your face. Uh, yes, look 10 years, 10 years younger. I decided to give myself a shave and, you know, you know, looking younger, maybe I should shave a little bit of that. <laughs> and so, we will just let the so, viewers know that I, I am just 21. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, 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 you found the courage to go to a barber. Yes, the confidence to see him in the... Darth Vader, uh, all the masks and everything prepared, and I felt very reassured there. You know, I just make sure you change the blades whenever you shaved me. <laughs> now, Father Clarence, uh, besides your work with the Catholic Research Centre in Kuala Lumpur, of course, uh, you do some missionary work the diocese. Uh, how about overseas? Did you have much experience uh, doing missionary work in overseas, maybe in Africa, just like Father Francis? Uh, no, not, not in Africa, Kevin. Uh, well, when I was a student in Rome, uh, I helped out in one or two parishes, uh, occasionally for, for special occasions. When they needed a priest, I'd gone to celebrate Mass. Uh, then one year, uh, three years ago, I spent a year in the UK, uh, but living in a parish uh, while doing some research work. So I also had to involve in the parish life, but not, not Africa. Yeah, not Africa. So Italy, yeah. Uh, in the UK and Malaysia, of course. I mean, every every opportunity, uh, every you know, uh, ministry is a mission by itself. So, yeah. So I do, do I do some missionary work. If you if you consider this as a mission, I mean, I go every Sunday to a to a small town known as Kuala Baru. It's the the last parish uh, uh, in north of the archdiocese, sixty kilometers. So if mm -hmm. you consider that as a mission, yes, I'm a missionary in that spot. But I don't have to take boats. I don't have to tra travel on camels or horses. I still drive my car. Yes. Yes, and of course, uh, it doesn't matter where you are, wherever you do mission, there's a lot of stories to tell, I'm sure, which we'll try and get out from Father yeah. Francis today. <laughs> Father Francis Teo. Hello. Hello. Good morning, Father everyone. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for being on our show. We're certainly honored to have you uh, with us here today. And uh, we're going to have a lot to talk. One hour is enough, but we'll try and get as much as possible. <laughs> right. So, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today, Father Francis? Um, I'm okay. It's just uh, I've been back uh, to see to some medical stuff, uh, and uh, you know, uh, with age, things a lot of things come up. But anyway, uh, I'm really glad that uh, for this chance, for this opportunity to. To appear on Catholics at Home, the podcast. I had never heard of it. This was my first time. And uh, through Mark and, and, and 
other friends they spoke to me about it and i thought well fine let's uh, let's see what happens you know so thank you for the parent thank you kevin yeah for for, for this chance to, to be Your here pleasure to have you here Thank you. Now, Father Francis, before we talk about uh, your vocation and your mission, maybe let's start uh, back. You were born in Malaysia. Tell us about uh, where you were born and uh, your life growing up here in Malaysia. Okay, I I, I was born in Malacca, in the Banda Hile, you know. Uh, that was my hometown and a uh, long time ago, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> my father, he, he, he was in the government service, so we moved around a lot from Malacca to Kuantan to KL, Taiping, Penang and then eventually they moved to Johor Bahru and, uh, and that is where my mother she has been living since I mean for many years Johor Bahru that's her base now my father has since passed on uh, I myself I, I grew up uh, throughout all these places as a young boy every few years you make good friends and then after that you have to say goodbye and then you start all over again, you know. It was like a, truly, when I thought, think about it, it was like a nomadic lifestyle, you know. And uh, <laughs> so when I was in Penang, that was when uh, uh, an opportunity came for me to, to, to get a scholarship in order to go to study in Singapore. And that was what I, I thought, wow, great, going to another country, yeah. So I was very happy to, to do that. My elder brother and I, we got the, that scholarship. But uh, my elder brother chickened out in the last day. And I said, no, I want to go. And I left. So at 14 years, I left my parents' home in order to go to live in Singapore and to study there at St. Joseph's Institution. Throughout, I have been with the uh, De La Salle brothers here all through. So there it was. And then I spent eight years of my life in Singapore. So that's how the story uh, but Singapore those years there I think those were important years for me those were the years that many things developed and, and changed for me mm. is, what, it, is what, it there sorry. is it there when you when you were with the brothers and in in St Joseph's is it is that where the, the seeds of vocation were planted for you not really father Clarice okay. not really I I, I never thought about about being a priest. I never thought about vocation. Actually, I was uh, not quite the, the 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 perfect guy, the perfect student, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I mean, it was I enjoyed studying. I I, I I was responsible and all that. But I never thought about about being a priest. Um. So so what? But what did teach me? At all those in all those schools at you know St Thomas St John's St Xavier St George's St Joseph's, I think it taught me uh, it taught me how to live certain Christian values. You know? I think that was that's really important those, those Christian values, and I really I thank God for them. I mean, the, those those things helped, and I think one of the important values was the feeling of compassion you know? uh, to to feel sorry really sorry for somebody else who, who is in, in greater need yeah so so i think in that sense uh yes you know a certain it led to a certain uh it led me you know 
an opening, give an opening towards my vocation as a, as a priest, as a missionary priest, eventually. Now, Father Francis, just to go back a little bit, you said you didn't have an intention to become a priest at that time. Just want to know, what were your ambitions uh, during that time? What did you want to become, you know? When I was in, in primary school, honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to, to be. I just thought, let me just pass every exam that I could, you know? And, uh, and my dad was a, he was a, he was a strict person. He, he, he wanted results, good results. So my concern was to do well, okay? And then, uh, and then when I went to Singapore secondary school, I, I, I didn't really think much. I thought of medicine. Uh, when I went to junior college, you know, in, in Singapore, they have the, what they call the junior college at A-levels. Yeah. I did think of medicine as well. And, uh, and, and I could qualify. So when the, when the results came out and I had to make a choice uh, to enter NUS, either, I had a choice, either medicine or law. I chose law because... Um, I thought that was where all the more beautiful girls were found. Yeah. <laughs> so so that so I went to law then. So I was in in law school, uh, for the two years, and I at first I enjoyed it, uh, but I remember every holiday during the the breaks, I I would save money during the year and then to go for a holiday. So one year, I, uh, the first year, I went with some friends uh, across Europe. From, from Turkey to, to Ireland, you know, hitchhiking. That really opened my mind to, to many things. The world, I saw the world was a, it was a huge thing. I mean, you know, it was the cultures, the people, all kinds of people, good people, bad people, wonderful people. I saw the church in, in, in so many forms. And uh, I was what? I think I was 20, 21 at that time. And, and, I, and that really moved me, right? And then... The following year, I decided again in the holidays to, to go somewhere else. This time, I chose to go to Pakistan, to the northwest frontier province. And there I went alone. And it was a very rough journey uh, through the Karakoram Highway and all that. And, and, and those journeys, I mean, I, you know, I didn't have much money. Uh, it was all, really, I was hitchhiking and living off bread and, and, and milk and things like that. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, when I look back now, I guess those years... I was searching for something. Yeah? I was searching for something, and uh, and then when I came, I, when I got back, I remember when I got back from those journeys, I couldn't stay within four walls, in a room within four walls. I felt a terrible depression to be within that. It just I felt asphyxiated, you know, and I felt like um, there was something else that, that that was calling me out. All right. So, I was in law school, second year law. By that time, you can be sure I had lost all interest in law studies. We would all be in the library, all my classmates, and they were all, you know, we were all on scholarship. They were, they were all in the library. They were reading the law books. I was looking at the atlases and the maps of Africa. Yeah. So, the exams, second year law exams came. You know, I failed impressively. Uh, I, but when I, when I come to think of it, I, I lost, I think, one night's sleep thinking about what was I going to do now. Everyone was coming to me and, you know, offering condolences. And I said, oh, that's fine. I'm leaving the university. So I left and, and, I, and I began to work for one year to earn enough money because um, I thought 
and I wanted to go to Africa. To go to Africa, not to be a priest, not to be a missionary. That was the last thing down the line, what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see Africa, to do something, to serve six months, work, teach in a school, and move from, from Egypt down to South Africa, go to West Africa, cross the Sahara Desert, end up in Europe, study journalism. That was what I wanted to do, journalism. Yeah. But you know, as St. Teresa of Favila, St. Teresa of Jesus says, God writes straight, but in crooked lines. Yeah. And I think it, that's what happened. And uh, so, so I, I started in, in Kenya. Uh, and, uh, and before that, I had friends of mine who were in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, and they got me a list of different missions. So they sent me the list of 23 missions all over Africa. I thought there was just so few Catholic missions. Later on, years later, I found that the Catholic Church is present in every corner of the continent. You know? mm. So I wrote to these three missions, 23 missions. I was, I was sure that they would be ready to, 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 to welcome somebody to teach English from Singapore, Malaysia. My goodness, who wouldn't? No one did. Except, um, except an old bishop, an Irish man, old bishop, John Machen, from the Diocese of Lodwa in part of Kenya, in the northern part of Kenya called Turkana. T-U-R-K-A-N-A. I looked it up in my in that Collins Atlas that my father had in his house. I looked up map of Af of Kenya, and I couldn't see Turkana anywhere. I couldn't find Lodwa town anywhere. So I said, "This must be the place where I should go." So, so I I, I saved up. I, I worked teaching, saved up money to do it because my dad, he of course he opposed the idea, being uh you know. <clears throat> He really opposed the idea and thought that uh, it was a crazy thing. And he said, if you wanted to go, then not at my expense. So <clears throat> I went on ahead with it and uh, saved the money and I left. I left in September 1987. Right? And, uh, and I reached Kenya in December 1987. And I remember standing outside on the outskirts of Nairobi City by the museum. At that time, it was considered the outskirts. Today, it's well inside the metropolis. And I was hitchhiking, <laughs> begging for lifts to go up to this place called Turkana. And, uh, and people thought I was crazy. It was about uh, 1,000 kilometers away. I eventually did make my way there after three, four days. And, uh, and I remember entering Turkana. Now, Turkana, in like all of northern Kenya, is a semi-arid area, almost like a desert with scrub trees and thorn trees, right? Bushes, and the people there are nomadic shepherds. Right? So, uh, at that time, there was a great famine. I think some of you may, Father Clarence, you may know, you know that that famine, that famous famine in Ethiopia in the in, in the eighties. Yeah? Hmm. Uh, we are the world and all that. No, Bob Geldof. Yeah, it was all part of that. That, that, that situation, yeah, that milieu. So, um, so there was a lorry that was bringing food, yeah, sacks of food up towards Lodwa. I got a ride 
I sat on top of all those sacks of, of, of food. And in front of me was a traditional Turkana family. A man had a cap with feathers and a blanket and nothing else. The woman had a skirt made from goat skin and nothing else. And the child, was, they were holding, the, they were with the child there. You know, the child was just, just there. And I looked around and saw the desert, semi-arid land, family there. They looked at me. I must have been the strangest animal they had ever seen. And, uh, and, and I felt free. I felt totally free. And, uh, and I felt that, uh, that uh, God was, was opening a path for me somewhere. You know? So that was how I entered into Turkana, that's northern Kenya. Then, of course, I went to see the bishop, Bishop Mahan. <clears throat> Poor Bishop Mahan almost got a shock of his life when he saw me. He didn't expect to find somebody from Malaysia coming all the way up there, you know. So he, he said, well, okay, you could go to a mission up north, you know, one of those remote missions where you get a vehicle passing by once a, once a week. So, uh, so I went up there and uh, on the lorry also delivering food. And there I met uh, Cecilia, she was a Spanish nurse, and she was the first member of the missionary community of St. Paul the Apostle that I met. Okay. You see, our community, the, we are a public association and we have clerics and also lay women. Okay. So, so Cecilia was a nurse and she was running the, the, the dispensary there in that remote mission. So that was my first contact with the missionary community of St. Paul the Apostle. Okay? And, uh, and I think uh, I had many conversations with her uh, and, and she, she explained, they explained to me many things about, uh, about leaving everything behind, following Christ, doing good, helping others. And that, you know, I think planted the seed of a vocation in and then a few months later, Father Francisco, or he preferred to be called just Paco, right? He was the founder, the one who started everything, and he came he, to visit to see, to visit the community there. And that was my first contact with him. And and in this man, Paco, I, you know, the gospels came alive. Many things came alive. And uh, and I I began to realize to see what it was to, to live as a family. And to and to leave everything behind, to share dreams and to try to make this world into a garden, literally, literally. And, uh, and I guess through him, I began to, to understand what it was to be a priest and a missionary. And that must have been the way. I think that was how my vocation began to grow. It didn't come overnight. I didn't hear a voice speaking to me in my dreams. It was through concrete persons that told me and asked me, have you ever thought about doing this? Very powerful story. Yeah? You know, usually, we, usually we hear you know, people joining uh, religious associations or congregations and then being sent out on mission to different countries. Your story is quite different. Uh, you had this intention of being a missionary 
a lay missionary. Uh, then only only later that the the whole idea of vocation to priesthood came about. Uh, what what would you attribute it to? I mean, this idea of being a missionary, uh, of leaving, is it the experience of traveling and seeing people or is something that started in your family for yourself that you wanted to leave everything and, and go to somewhere else? I mean, you started off just wanting to teach English, that's all. What would you attribute yes. it to? I think I've thought about that very much and often I speak about this also for the Clarence. One, I think... There has to be an unquietness in us, you know, in this from the Spanish word uh, inquietud, you know, <laughs> unquietness, where you're not satisfied with everything. There's something missing. You know, like the song from you from, from you two, it says, I'm still uh, uh, I'm still searching, I still I haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. That unquietness. That's that's I think the one very important element. Uh, because that unquietness is what makes us seek for some meaning, make us seek for some more fulfillment. Okay? And then the second thing would be uh, disenchantment. Disenchantment with what I have around me, um, not being satisfied. I mean, just saying that it's, it doesn't mean so much. I mean, yeah, a car, yeah, so what? profession yeah so what i mean that disenchantment no and uh and so the two things combined i think were very powerful uh waves that help in especially in my case i maybe you know different persons have different things but in my case they were very powerful waves in helping me to in driving me towards this vocation to be a priest and a missionary in Africa. Yep. What, what uh, for the Francis? What, what were your impressions? As you said, you went to Turkana, which a place that you couldn't find on the map. Also, when you finally arrived there, you know, <laughs> looking at that place, what what went through your mind? I mean, here in this part of the world, I mean, we we have certain level of comfort. Yeah, I mean, a roof over our heads, bed, you know. But you're going to a place you don't know anything. Yeah, you have you only not you, you've not even seen it on the map, probably not even on on National Geographic. Uh, what were your first impressions when you when you arrived there after that making that that three day journey from from Nairobi? I, my first impression, well, the first person that impressed me was actually the bishop himself, the old bishop John Machen, very dear dear bishop. He was dressed in his boots, his shorts, and when he was going out to work, he would remove his Episcopal ring, keep it in the drawer, and he was a mason. He was a canon lawyer and a mason. And a man that I saw, it, it impressed me how he was going around in his uh, four-wheel drive with bags of cement, um, building material, and, and children around behind him and going, delivering things at the different places. He built dispensaries, churches, convents, schools. He built it. All that, you know? And uh, I think that for me was one of the, the biggest, uh, very, a, a great, he caused a great impression. You know, in Luke chapter 4, when, when, when it says, um, 
where Jesus quotes Isaiah and saying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, you know. I thought, yeah, this man, Bishop Mahan, he did that literally, all right? He did that literally. He fed the hungry. He educated the downtrodden. He gave work to those who, who were bowed down. He built a hospital to, to cure the sick, a school for the blind, another one for the deaf. I learned from, from this old bishop that the Gospels were not just mere words. Action was needed as well. Okay, so for me, that was a, a, great, a very great impression. <clears throat> And uh, it was one one person, and and um, and I think uh, another person, more than places or people, I would say, persons you know, that really impressed me was, as I said, Father Francisco or Paco himself. You know? I mean, Paco, he was a man. He was very demanding. Being Spanish, you know, he was very demanding, and, and he used to teach us to always catch the bull by the horns, you know. <laughs> And there was a very important lesson that I, I learned from him. Right? He, he, was, um, he was never indifferent to the needs and suffering of, of, of people around. Yeah? He moved all those around him to find solutions to the situations of needs of those around. Yeah? So we as young men, you know, we had to find solutions. We, we had to find how to help this lady, how to get food for the child. We had to do all those things. Right? And, and he constantly, all the time, called people, no matter where they were from, what background they were from, to leave everything behind and to follow a life of service. Men, women. And I was included in that invitation, uh, which he made so passionately and, and intensely, such that I couldn't say no. But, uh, but it was an invitation, I suppose, that matured and grew more profoundly with time okay, and seeing everything. So, so these are two persons that really influenced uh, my, my, my vocation. You know, they, they helped. And, uh, and, and then years later, after I was ordained as a young priest, um, I was asked to, when, when, when Bishop Mahan passed away, the old bishop passed away, I was asked to be the one to organize the whole funeral. And I was really moved as a young priest to see thousands of tribal people who had come, who had walked for days from all around the diocese. It's a huge diocese, 77,000 square kilometers. You know, walked all over. Come to say goodbye to this man who did so much for them. Who really gave them, gave them his life. And, uh, and I was impressed. I was really impressed to, to see this, and, uh, and that really, as a young priest, you know, it really moved me. It's just to say that, my God, how how much we can do, how much we must do, how much need, and how much lives we can change and affect. So that that really, I mean, that that, that marked a very big change. Now, Father Francis, originally you went there to do uh, to join the mission, to do missionary work. What was the point that 
that uh, or was there any moment that uh, pointed you to become a priest? When did you decide that you wanted to join the priesthood? Oh, don't laugh here. Uh, Father, Father Paco, Paco, he was, um, he wanted me to be a priest, obviously. He was all the time calling me, asking me. And all the time I was evading answering him. You know? Until one day he, he just said, do you want to be a priest or not? And I said, okay, okay. You know, that was how it was. And uh, yeah, I, when I said, oh, yes, I, I, I meant it with all my heart. All my soul, and, uh, and I wasn't sure, so sure of how things would go, but I, but I saw with my own eyes what a good priest was, how a good priest was, how a good bishop was. I saw all those things, and I thought, yes, that's the challenge for me. And um, and and so, so you know, this August fifteenth, it will be twenty three years for me as a priest. Right, my anniversary, August fifteenth, and you know, Clarence and Kevin. There have been many difficult moments, okay, and, uh, especially in the missions in in, in in our missions there in northern Kenya. There have been many many difficult situations been in, you know, between shootings and, and all kinds of threats and everything. There have been a lot of problems and difficulties, and they continue to be. I mean. But I, I, I say it honestly and with all my heart that has never been a moment, one moment, one second when I regretted this this decision. And throughout all this time, were your parents able to to follow your journey and uh, know about your decision to become a priest? You know, times were different. That you know, at those times. There was no such thing as email, mobile phones, and all that. It was all slow mail. Yeah, if um if they wanted to write me a letter, they would uh, have to send it post restance. I don't know if these things exist today. Post restance, you, you know, uh, to Francis Tio, uh, Nairobi Post Office. Post restance. They keep the post. Then months later, I would pass by, and then I would collect it. That was how it was. Phone calls were very expensive. You couldn't afford it. But before I left, before I left Jokobaru, I bought a map of Africa. I remember I framed it beautifully. I hung it there on the wall so that I said, at least you would be able to follow where I was going. <laughs> and then, and I gave away all the things I had, uh, the few things I considered important to my life, so important to me, I kept in a carton box, I left it in my parents' house. And today, 34 years later, that box is still there. I, I never saw the need to open it up. You know, some things we see so important at one time, later doesn't seem important anymore. So anyway, uh, then I went there, and, and then after meeting Father Palco, and then after deciding, yes, I would like to be a priest, of course, I, I came back to, to, to Malaysia, and uh, told my dad that I would to be a priest. I was shocked. Priest, my goodness! You know, he didn't want me. He wasn't. He wasn't so sure about that. You know? And I told him I wanted to be a priest in Africa. My poor dad almost fell down. You know? And uh, and and yeah, but uh, but I, I I pushed on with it. And I 
That was what I wanted. And I realized later that my father's concern was if his son was uncertain about the decision, then he would oppose it. But if his son was certain about what I wanted to do, I think he was okay with it. Okay? That's the, the fear in many parents, the uncertainty in, 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 in the decisions of their children. And you know, after I was ordained in 1997, I think about uh, two years, two years later, um, my dad, he couldn't come for my ordination, both my parents. I was ordained in Kenya. They couldn't come because my dad was with a cancer, a bone cancer. And it was uh, getting worse and worse. And, uh, and I remember my sister called in, was in, in 1999, <coughs> July. She called and said, look, and says, daddy is very bad. And uh, can you come back? And me being me, I said, nah, I think it's okay. Let's just wait, still wait. But uh, Paco was the one who came down very hard on me and he said, drop everything and go back now. Look after your dad. So I did that out of obedience. I'm glad I did it. I spent time with my dad in the hospital here in, in, in Kuala Lumpur. And one night, uh, I remember uh, I was there lying in the hospital with him, you know, uh, and he stood up, you know, it was cancer, bone cancer. It was very painful. And then he walked shuffled to the mirror on the wall he looked at himself there and i was just sleeping and just looking at him and then i asked him i said pa are you all right and then he he walked back to the bed and he didn't say anything and then he just looked at me and he said you know if i had to uh, he said um, he said if I had to start my life all over again, I would be a priest like you. I was very surprised. I was very, I was moved. I didn't know what to say. Uh, all I could, I remember saying is, I muttered, I said, if you did, I won't exist. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then he, he, he said that it is only when I have reached at the end of my life that I see that Everything that I have done is in vain, except the good, except the good that I that I have done. That's the only thing that matters. Everything else is in vain. And uh, and so he said that if I had to start my life again, yeah, I would be a priest like you. And for me, that was a confirmation that my dad was was happy that uh, his son had become a priest, a missionary, in in, in in Kenya, and many other stories that uh, I heard later. That uh, Hobaru, my, when my father would come across um, a, an African immigrant, a Nigerian, he would be so eager to go to buy food for him and take him and help him, the, the, the poor African person here or there. And that, and, you know, and, 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 he, and he would tell them, you know, the people would ask, Uncle, why are you doing this? This is because my son is in Africa and your people are, are so good to him and I, I want to do the same, you know, things like that. Really, moved. he passed away. Yesterday was the twenty-first anniversary of his death. Uh, it was my first funeral, my first funeral ever as a priest. Uh, and that, that 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 really had a great effect on me. Yeah. Talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, talking a little bit about you know about life and and mission and ministry uh, in Africa. 
no, you are you are you are ordained a diocesan priest, uh, but you belong to a, a public association. What is it? What is uh, ministry like for a diocesan priest? I mean, uh, in in where you are, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's very different from what it is here. What is yes. a, a, a a daily life like for for a diocesan priest uh, where you are? All right. You see, uh, our our diocese in Kenya and many other dioceses where our missionaries are working, these are usually very remote dioceses and very uh, poor dioceses. Poverty is endemic. As uh, the old bishop used to say, hunger is the constant companion of the people. Okay? So our work in our missions revolved around production, how to produce food, to grow, to cultivate, look for water, to drill water, to build dams, uh, how to improve the, the herds. Okay? That was a very great part of our work. Of course, we had to do also the pastoral care of the people. Right? But you know, if we wanted to baptize people, so many would just want to be baptized because, yeah, because you get food, you get whatever, those kind of things. You know, and we, didn't want to, we didn't want it that way. Okay, we want people to come to, to to, to, to Jesus because they really find meaning in that. And um, so, so that's why our missions, they grew up as centers of, of uh, agriculture, centers where there was water, education, and then and people, when their lives were better, then they could make a better choice, following God, following Jesus Christ, okay? make a better choice. And so the work, our work there completely, Comprises. I mean, the daily life would be, uh, yeah. We would, we would. In the morning, we'd have to see to the projects around, check on the construction of the dam, see the, the the nutritional unit, the school. How is it going? The children, do they have food? Has food been stolen, or there's still food there for the kids? And then you have to check on the on the cars. The tractor is broken. Maybe try to get that thing repaired. And then after that, I go to have a meeting with the catechist, see how things were doing and all, you know. And so it's a was it's very different in different missions there were different issues to deal with in one of my first parishes it was uh, on the border between kenya and ethiopia and we had to deal with tribal conflicts between the turkana people from kenya and the dasanich people from ethiopia that was really hard i mean we, we, we one side considered us as spies and the other side thought of us also as spies i mean we were, it was terrible but in the end, we managed to bring peace. We did. We managed to bring peace between the two sides. That was good. Okay? Um, and then uh, for like six years, I was also appointed the Vicar General of the Diocese. And there again, the work was very different. I mean, the, the courier of the diocese had uh, its water department, women's department, health department, nomadic department, a pastoral department, you know, that was how we were we were run, we were organized. Because the presence of the government at the time there was, uh, was not so so great. Today it's changed. It's changed. Church was so involved in human development, in human development, uh, you know, especially in, in, in times of emergency, when there was famine, and there would be every five, seven years, a cycle of famine. Okay? We didn't have rains. By the way, 
what you get here in one day, that the thunderstorm you get here, you get that in one year, that amount of rainfall. Okay? So, so it's, you can imagine it's dry. Food security is a real problem. So, so, we, so we have to find ways and means to, to, to see how the people's lives can be improved. Uh, and then at the same time too, to, to reach out. Uh, even as, as, as I said, as, 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 uh, as Vicar General, one of the, I, I enjoyed Saturdays. Saturdays, I would go out, we would go out to a different small Christian community. These are the BECs. And we would do home blessings, bless the homes. Now the homes are not, not the homes that you have here. Okay, those are huts made from branches that look like igloos. So you have to bend down to go in and sprinkle around that small little hut, come out and then you go to the little pen where they have the, the, the goats and the, and the sheep and you bless all that, bless the surrounding. Some families, they, they would even have their own brewery. Eh? You bless all that. <laughs> and then... Then, um, then you move on. The family will join in. Then it goes as a big procession to the end of the about 50, 70 homes. Uh, <clears throat> then we would have a mass baptism of infants. You know, sometimes you would have 30, 40 baptisms of infants. And, uh, and really, we talk of big numbers of people, you know, um, being baptized. And, uh, and the faith is, is something that is growing. I mean, people are very, very open and receptive to the Catholic Church. When I, when I went to Turkana in, in 1987, it was uh, less than 10% of the population Catholic. Today, I think the statistics show that maybe around 25 to 30% of the population are Catholic. So it has changed. It has changed and the Church has really done a lot to, to improve uh, the, the whole economy and the whole life So in terms of uh, missionaries who are there, Father, um, I mean, are there many foreign missionaries or the, the diocese is able to provide uh, clergy? I mean, are there vocations growing among young people there? Um, when our missionary community of St. Paul the Apostle, when we started, of course, we were foreigners. I mean, not most of us were from Spain, from other countries. Uh, today, we have more Kenyans among us, from Ethiopia, from Malawi, we have people from different countries, okay, more mixed. I'm still the only one from Malaysia, fortunately, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but we have we have some others from, who have joined us from other countries in Asia, and uh, and uh, but also uh, the church too. The church has grown and it has become more indigenous. The present uh, bishop is a Kenyan and uh, very capable. Bishop Dominic, very capable person, and uh, and and he he's doing good work. And, uh, although now he has been uh, made bishop of another diocese, so he is just the administrator. So he's uh, actually a sede vacante in the sense. Okay? But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so that's uh, that's that's um, that's how that's that's how the you know our daily life is. And for us, the missionary community of Saint Paul the Apostle. One of the main things that that we do is water resource development, drilling boreholes, building dams. I mean, we we I knew next to nothing to build dams, but we had to learn all those things, how to make walls and where to do them, and to you know to trap water and earth dams and 
and uh, and yeah, it's been a learning experience. But anyway, that's so it looks like like from a, a career destined in law, God has transformed you into being a his engineer now. Uh, <laughs> well, I I had to I went off to study canon law actually, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that what that is what took me to Manila, okay, twenty twelve. Okay. Yeah. So in Manila, um, I went to study canon law at, at UST, University of Santo Tomas. And uh, but it, but uh, but but it was also our intention to set up uh, a, a formation house in Asia. Okay, so so that is our formation house in Manila, and uh, and we we uh, we have our students in theology who are there. Some are in philosophy, and then. Then also the young men from around the region who are discerning their vocation, they come there. And we are able to spend time with them and see if this is their life. So that's how we we are trying to develop develop that. And of course, being in Manila uh, helps us also to do a lot of vocation promotion work and missionary animation work to talk about missions to raise. The, the, the awareness of missions, okay? Because many people think, you know, oh, missionary, the missionary work of the church that's gone 100 years ago, finished. No, it's not. It's not. It's very much alive. Very much. Very much there. Even even here in Malaysia too. I mean, we have to, you know, and uh, and 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 it's to encourage young people, encourage parishes, parish groups, to be mission oriented, to look out. If we don't look out, we're not going to go anywhere. If it's just inside, it's just what I need, what I am, and then fine. That's what I told. I, I said about that that disenchantment, and then and that unquietness. Those are two very important factors. And I think it is so much in line with with, with the gospels. If you want to go out, right? So, so anyway. Yeah, I think that's one. That's one of the things that you know during the the, the missionary year. Uh, that we talked about, uh, Pope Francis is, has always been saying, you know, it's not just enough to be a disciple of Jesus, but to be a missionary disciple of Jesus. And I think you so well, you put it that, you know, it's not just all about ourselves, but it's about going out. Well, I guess, I mean, mission mission begins at home, isn't it? In, in many ways, that's where it all starts uh, yes. for, for most people. You know, some yes. people think yes. mission... Some people stay away from mission because they think mission is like you going away to a distant land, so they kind of you know pull back and you know. And I think it's it's quite important that you also brought it up that mission also is wherever you are, wherever God plants you, uh, that's your mission. Uh, yes. Uh, in, in, in certainly, certainly. I mean, you know, even even here, but but uh, I think we have to to know that very clearly that mission. Is to is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, no? and uh, and this good news of Jesus Christ can be so many things to the to the elderly couple living down the road that nobody pays attention to them. I mean, you can imagine what the good news is to them. Yeah. The good news to a mother who has to see her child die from a simple diarrhea in Sabah. You can imagine what the good news is for her, right? So so that's the kind of good news we need to 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 to, to bring to people. I think uh, that's perfectly within the hands and possibilities of so many people here. So many, young and old, 
so many things, right? And so, so I think uh, it's good to to to. to and one thing leads to another. Even in our experience of in, in our in our community, our experience was that when the group started in Spain, they began to look after gypsies, gypsy children. And from there, it, it, it expanded, and they looked on, and they went out to Africa. You know? and, and so, so, so really, yeah, maybe charity begins at home, but the truth is also that charity knows no boundaries, right? So, so God calls us wherever, and however well especially in this time when uh, we have this COVID-19 and we cannot travel abroad and stuff like that of course uh, we have to look uh, at our nearest surroundings if we want to do missionary work but Father Francis uh, what would you tell someone who's watching this right now who's had some sort of desire to do missionary work uh, what advice can you give them to take the another step forward uh, <clears throat> Now is I. It took me a long time to find a way to, to go to Africa. I mean that I must say it's not so easy. You know when I was in, I had I had to go knocking different places in Singapore, trying to see how and where. And and in the end, uh, like I said, I got the list of addresses. I wrote and, uh, and I went. Okay. Um, I think um, there there are different in, in different countries. I don't know here in Malaysia, but there may be uh, mission officers. There may be different groups that do um, give the opportunity for people to visit ourselves. We too, and we we have received visitors from from Malaysia, from Singapore, from from Indonesia, from Philippines, from Europe, from you know. Every year, we, we get people coming to, to to visit and to spend some time uh, with us. One month, two weeks. Things like that, you know. So those who can more time, they spend more time, and and they may not be able to do much, but the very fact that they are there and they see and they and they get to know another culture and to see how the church, life of the church, in in a place like like in Africa, I tell you, it blew, it will blow you off. I mean, just to see how people live their faith, how they worship, how people walk for hours. They reached the church covered in dust, and then they began to dance, and then, and it's a it's a joyful celebration, and, uh, and you really you know you, you feel you feel that that, that power they, you know those that people really appreciate that, that whole idea of wanting to, to to worship God, but anyway the the point is this no that they they will have to do some homework they need to look and 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 see how uh, how um, people, how what what channels are there? Uh, how I don't know, mission office somewhere. I'm not sure how it is like here in Malaysia, but or even through some congregations, they may have um, openings for lay volunteers, people like that. And then it may not necessarily be to to Africa. I mean, it could be nearby too, around too. All right. And I mean, I I I, I did quite a bit of work in, in Indonesia too, looking for doing vocation promotion work. And I've seen bishops there who are who welcome young people who to from other countries to spend time to help and to teach English in the school, yeah, in the seminary and so many, you know, there ways. People need to to move, find out. Oh, and, and I am I mean I'm I'm ready to to help to see where and how to give advice. I am ready to do that. I'll leave my contact. I don't know, uh, WhatsApp or, or something like that, and, and 
you know people could those who are interested could contact me. Yeah. Well, Father Francis, I would like you to touch on just one more topic um, because when you said that you left everything behind, you know, you just had that carton of your uh, personal belongings, something very uh, memorable or something that is very important to you. I th I think uh, that's very admirable and, you know, I think it's hard for most people, especially in this time right now, you know, more than ever, it's such a materialistic world. How do we leave behind our... <laughs> that sense of leaving behind everything and just going forward, you know, we hear this in the Bible, of course. I can't quote scripture, but you know, I just find it hard to to envision. I, I mean, admiration of all those people who just left behind everything and gone forward to serve. But for you know, for most of us, uh, I think that is also quite a struggle. What would can you talk a bit about that, and uh, what can you say to us? Oof. You know, I remember, um, I remember during that time when I was. I was in turmoil. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, where, what, how, anything. I came across a book, a very simple book, on the life of St. Francis of Assisi. And I think that book helped me to, to, to know how to let go of, of some things. You know? The life of St. Francis. I mean, that, that, was, that was something. That, 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 that really it moved me and, uh, and it gave me the courage to, to say that yeah some things I won't need you know and, um, and it's hard it's a difficult question you ask because uh, because um, it's true I mean it depends on each one of us but I think we can live without things you know and maybe the essentials we say we carry with us and, and, and that's it um, but very often we add on many things in our lives that complicate things and make us want more. And perhaps we could be more minimalistic. Try to see what we can do, how we can do with less. You know? and, uh, and even if we did have things, what we have, we ought to use that in order to help others. Okay? Use it for good. Use it for good. And I suppose that's where the freedom to do good comes in. And it's a freedom that is in here. I'm free to do good. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so I don't know, it's um, really, I think sometimes maybe it's God's grace that has to touch our hearts. Yes. And say, get ready to let go. That's what I would, I would really say. Yeah. Uh, Father Clarence, anything to add? To add? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, Kevin. I was just no, just just uh, listening to for the Francis. I know it's not not easy uh, to let go. A lot of us carry a lot of things with us wherever we go, uh, and I think sometimes that's what God calls us to, to shed and leaving behind things. Uh, no, I just was listening to Father Francis. You know, it reminds me of of the the call of the first disciples where they left their boat, they left their net. They let every, everything to follow Jesus. That's the thought that, that was running through my mind as you, as you said, you know, leaving everything and going to a place that, that wasn't even on a map uh, for a while for you at least, but it has become a part of, of of your life now. You know, and and I think you know, if you think that if there's something that that this whole mission experience being there, the people there, uh, what what lesson? What most important lesson would would you take for yourself, uh, Father Francis? I mean, what have the people taught you? Uh, 
by being there. You know, you've been there now 23 years or even more than your 34, 34 years. years. Yeah. You know, so maybe, maybe one or two simple lessons that you have learned from them as much as they have learned from you. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, not just in, well, everywhere, no, I think it's not just in, 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 in Africa, but also in the Philippines, the time there. I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned in this life with the people who, who have little, marginalized, and all that, I think is the, is that, that spirit, that indomitable human spirit, okay, that strong spirit to survive. To survive, to improve, and to push on, despite all the difficulties, all the odds. I mean, and they teach me not to take life and all that comes with it, get for granted. Okay? Not to take it for granted. It made me and it continues to make me question why some people have everything. And some people have nothing at all. And I ask myself, still, if they ask, so why? <laughs> so what is clear also is that the amount of good that that can be achieved, where there is goodwill and hard work, when each one of us, we bring uh, his or her, you know, the, the five loaves and two fish that we heard uh, in the gospel, yeah? A lot can be achieved when each of us, we bring our loaves and our fish and put them together, right? And there is and there is no doubt about the deep and existential joy that we find in doing good for others. There is no doubt. Really. So talking about, you know, the, the five loaves and the two fish, you know, bringing each one bringing, you know, I've, we have seen pictures and, you know, I've also heard from my friends while studying in Rome, you know, how the celebration of the, of the Eucharist is, it's very animated, you know. Uh, in Africa, yeah. In Africa, yeah. <laughs> so like, tell us a little bit. Describe a little bit about what is a, a celebration, a liturgical celebration like uh, uh, in the place that you come from. All right, in Turkana, the traditional way. I mean, let let me let me describe to you that, for instance, the procession of the Blessed Sacrament, the process of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, after communion and all that, right, and just. Uh, so when I carry the, the monstrance and move, all the traditional women dressed in their goat skin and the camel skin with their stuff there, they, 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 they dance. The dance is jumping, stomping, stomping their feet on the ground. Now the place is dry, dusty. So as they move, this is, is a cloud of dust that is there. So, so I'm ahead, I'm in front with the blessed servant, and the people are all behind. So it's like a, you see, you know, every all the movement jumping at simultaneously, all the people, and the dust that comes up. I mean, it's so impressive, really. And then at some point, when when I turn around and I face the people with the monsters, everyone falls down to their knees. And it's amazing. You just see the dust, the cloud of dust. The mass itself is very animated. If you celebrated mass in 45 minutes, like you do here, you get scolding by the people. Yeah? Or being too short, we get scolding. So, 
so so the mass has to go on i mean sometimes two hours even because there is a lot of singing a lot of dancing uh the our father alone to sing the our father is about 10 minutes yeah and then and then uh and of course uh there's the presentation of gifts people people they have little but they they give they bring a few shillings that they may have, well, shillings there. You know? Then sometimes they may bring a piece of uh, a watermelon which they planted. Other times a family may bring a goat. And so they present it. And they, when they bring it up for, 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 offer, for the offertory, they're dancing with it. Okay, they're carrying the goat and dancing. Right? And it's very funny sometimes uh, when the bishop comes, especially there are lots of goats that are presented to the bishop. The poor bishop has to struggle with the goats, eh? <laughs> receiving. <laughs> but, the, but it's a really very, I mean, really, and, and prayers, prayers for the faithful. It's it's not it's not all prepared. I mean, you know, it's open. People come up and they pray, and they pray. So so that's that's how they do it, and and and, uh, and then the dancing. I uh, there's a lot of dancing. And, and the traditional Turkana way, like I said, is that you've seen the Maasai people, the way they jump, that's how it is also. So they do that as post-communion, yes, Thanksgiving, they call it, they dance. And everyone, the whole church shakes, the whole church shakes. And of course, they pull the priest out to jump as well, to dance with them. So we're all dancing there, you know, everything. And um, and so, and then I mean, that after the, and that is finished, then silence. Everyone settles down, silence, you know. So it's um there's there's a time for euphoria and a time for quiet meditation. So so it's uh I miss that. That's one thing I miss very much. <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 the liturgical celebrations or the Sunday celebrations in, in, in the mountains and in the villages, those remote places in, in, in Kenya. Nairobi and the cities, of course, is like here, right? Mass. If the priest finishes in 40 minutes, that's a good priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are wonderful <laughs> stories. Uh, Father Francis, earlier on when you first went to uh, Turkana in Africa, was it hard to uh, uh, learn the language and learn the culture? Yes, it was. the language was, it was difficult because it is a difficult language. <clears throat> But my best teachers were the children. They were the best. And I learned from them. I picked up the language very fast. And, uh, and of course, later on, we, uh, you know, when, when, I was, when I became the Vicar General, we, we organized classes for new missionaries and new priests, people from outside who are coming to work to undergo language courses and all that. So, so that helped. But for, for me, when I went there first, I mean, I had to learn, I had to learn that, you know. I was, I was 23 years old and, uh, and, and, and I, you know, had to learn the language and then to settle in, to, to get to know the, 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 the culture and all that. It was not difficult. Um, it was not difficult for me. I, I, I came, I entered in nicely because partly because I, of members of my, of my community that I met before I joined, but still we, they were, they kind of introduced me and helped me. And, uh, and and I there is one great quality about about uh, being in Africa and, and, and Africans themselves. 
I think uh, humanity, the very the, the humanity is returned. We 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 come back to see humanity in its in, in its real self. I and there's something I really appreciate. In so easy for people to smile and say hello and good morning and greet and shake hands and everything. And, uh, really, and children wherever you go, they they have no no qualms. They come to you, they hold you, and they touch your hair. You know, I mean, it's really humanity is returned, and that's very beautiful. That's very beautiful. I'm so, I'm going to put you, I'm I'm going to put you in a little bit of a corner and ask you a question. Hmm. Uh, you know, you have, you have you have lived in Malaysia. Now you serve in, and you have come back to Malaysia also to serve. What do you think that the church in Malaysia could learn from the church in Africa? If there's one thing that you think is important for us to learn, no. <laughs> but something from your observations, you know, something that yeah. maybe we could learn from them. Yeah. I think I think it's uh, very important to uh, give an opportunity to the lay people to organize themselves. Now, in Africa, the church has grown uh, by leaps and bounds because of the small Christian communities or what you call here the BECs. These BECs are empowered. They're really empowered. They're, 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 they're given... I mean, they're given the, the you know, the, the opportunities, the, the support to, to, to really come together, to see to each other's needs and not just to come together to, to eat roja and things like that. No, they come together to, to really see how they can support each other. A couple not married in church, how can we help them to get married in church? Things like that. The BBC is the small Christian community. That's a, it's just an amazing tool of evangelization for the parishes. Okay, and uh, and when I was rector of the cathedral, I, I used that to to the greatest extent, and uh, and I found that truly, truly helpful. That people felt hot; they felt they were doing something to the point where even their neighbors who were not Catholics, they were saying, "Wow, you, you I mean, you, you really, you really do something." You know, when when the priests when we were going to bless the homes and all that. The neighbors who are not Catholics would ask uh, ask your minister to come bless our homes too. Even the Muslims, they were doing it. They come in, come in and bless the homes, because they said that your priests go to your places. Ours, they don't come out. You know? and I think that's 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 the other thing too. Okay, I think the priests uh, is good for us to, to go out to to, to the families, to go out to the homes. I remember going to the homes of when we did this this home blessings. It was not just blessing with water, but it was to get to know the families. You would go into a hut and you would see an old lady lying there for months because she was sick. So we would try to get things done. So the catechists would be with me, and the catechists would have to jot down this home. This had to be done. This one here, there was a child. A deaf child. Let's see if we can get the child into that school. We go into this other one. There's a couple uh, trying to live, uh, living together, not married in church. Can we do something about that? Another one. This is a possibility to become a communion minister. 
can this person be trained to be a communion minister? This one, a lecture. These kids, what can we do with all these children here? No schooling, things like that. And, and that was the task for the catechist, and he had to follow up. And we could see the improvement as the time went, went by. But the priest had to go out. The priest had to go out and to be, to be in the homes then, to get our hands inside all that mess. Right? And, 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 then, and then I think, um, yeah, then, then we bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, so these are the two, these are, I find the two aspects that I, has just come to my mind now. I never thought about it. Father Clarence until now, but these are the two aspects that I think could we could learn from each other. Yeah. Uh, Father Francis, before we end, uh, how can our viewers, those watching, if they want to support your work, support your community, uh, how can they help? Okay. I well, I I will be around in Malaysia for some time because I wait for my visa to return to the Philippines. Please God, it comes soon. <laughs> in the meantime, I'll be doing some some search, some medical things, but uh, I will leave. I, I'm, I'm not sure I can leave my my email address, perhaps, and, uh, and yeah, and my, my number. If someone is interested uh, to, to to contact me, that's uh, possible. And, and uh, yeah, I, even with I don't know, maybe with Father Clarence, okay, mm -hmm. whichever way we can we can we can do that, All right? And uh, yeah, it's very possible. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Okay. We have friends who have been helping us for long, and they also know the, the different ways to do it. Hmm. But thank you for that. Yes. Sure, sure. Father Clarence, anything before we end? Anything you would like to ask Father Francis? No, just to, to thank. I, I think my, my earlier conversation with you, as far as you know, and as far as I know, you're probably the only Malaysian priest serving in Africa. Uh, I don't know of anybody. Do you know of anybody? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I may be completely wrong, but there may be, if there is someone out there, I, I truly apologize for my ignorance. But, you know, it's been a pleasure to have met you. Uh, you know, it's it's so nice to, to be able to know that, you know, uh, as much as we still have needs in Malaysia to serve the Malaysian church, that there are people like you who think even wider of a universal church to serve, and hopefully that inspires other people also uh, to want to take on mission, uh, and not just to think of you know our own backyard. But you know, I, we always seem to think that you know when you talk about missionaries, we think of serving our own because we think we don't have enough. We will yeah. never have enough, you know, whether it's, whether it's in Africa or whether it's in Malaysia. But if we don't start thinking, you know, you know, wider. Uh, church to serve a wider church then we'll we'll always remain as a kind of an insular church so thank you very much uh, for the francis for carrying our flag uh in africa and i'm sure that god will bless you and and hopefully this conversation inspires some of our young people uh, who will be able to get your email address to write to you uh, through catholics at home uh, and to see how maybe an experience an experience yes. to teach english uh, and maybe that experience to teach english may become an experience of being a priest or a religious. Who knows? God calls him. So. <laughs> Thank you very much, Father Francis. Thank you. Thank you, Father Clarence. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you all for this fantastic work that you do too, to bring uh, the good news of Jesus Christ into the homes of people. I think it's fantastic. Really good.
right? Thank you. Thank you, Father Francis. Certainly, uh, your story is certainly inspiring uh, to me and I'm sure to many others as well. Uh, so, Father Clarence, shall we end? <laughs> I, I'll try. I, I quite like uh, the African culture. In fact, you know, I do have an African name because I do have a friend from Ghana. And one day I asked her to give me a name and she asked me, what day was I born? I don't know if that that's sort of a culture in, in where you are in Africa because they name their children based on the days that they are born. So oh, I think okay. in, Ghana, in, in Ghana, there's the Akan culture. And I told her, you know, I checked out the calendar and I Googled it. It was Tuesday. And she gave me the name. My name is Komla. So if there's any African friends viewing this right now, well, you can just call me Kachang Komla. <laughs> Komla is my African name. And I certainly do hope to come to Africa. And maybe one day we can uh, join you in your mission in uh, Kenya. Thank you for joining us on our show today. Father Clarence, shall we end with a prayer? So perhaps we invite Father Francis today to say a prayer for us. Sure, sure. All right. Maybe a concluding prayer, Father Francis, for all of us. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we ask for your blessing on all those who strive to bring your good news to the world. We pray that you continue to touch us and open our hearts, especially to those who are in need. There are many who are in need around us. Help us to be sensitive to see. Help us to be free, to do good always in our lives. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father. Once again, thank you, Father Francis. Thank you, Father Clarence, uh, for this conversation today. Certainly inspiring. And thank you for watching Catholics at Home. Don't forget to join us next week for our live show. And also, don't forget to join us for Jamming with Jesus. That's our praise and worship session every Friday at 9.30. And we usually have new uh, new um, groups coming on to perform their music to praise Jesus. So don't forget to join us then every Friday. And uh, of course, for our Saturday live show on Saturdays. Till then, from Father Francis, Father Clarence, and myself, wish you a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.